Our scripture reading this morning is from John 18, John 18, 1 through 27. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath, Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him, and they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where the Jews always meet, and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed.
2017. Let's pray one more time together. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we study this passage of Scripture, Lord, that you would help us to see how it applies to us directly. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see, most of all, how Christ is exalted even as he is betrayed by his enemies. Lord, we pray that you would be exalted in every heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So naming a baby is a huge privilege that is enjoyed by parents. And Lord willing, this is a privilege that, that Jane and I will enjoy uh, later this week. Now, all kinds of thought has, go on, has gone into it. There's so many factors that we've considered. Do we, do we name the child after a parent or after a grandparent? Do we want to remember a biblical figure or a historical one? Do we want to highlight some particular blessing from the Lord or some godly attribute with our name choice? And children often live up to their names. Not sure if you're aware of this, but both John and Jane actually mean the same thing. They're actually the, the masculine and the feminine of the same Hebrew word. John and Jane both mean God is gracious. And God has been most gracious to us in saving us and in continuing to bless us richly. We know that, of course, it doesn't mean that God is gracious to every single person whose name is John or Jane. We also know that God does, that there's rather that children do not always live up to their names. And it's been interesting as we've, as we've gone through this process to look that, and see that, that names come in and out of popularity every year. It's like fashion trends. People seem to model their, their hairstyles and their clothing after celebrities. And many people also often follow the stars in naming their children. But there's a few names that probably will never come back into popularity. Adolf, for example, will, will probably never be a popular name again. Certainly hasn't been the, it hasn't made any top 100 baby name list over the past 60 years. But there's one name that hasn't been on any top name list for the past two millennia. That name is Judas. Ever since the events that we're going to look at this morning, the name Judas has become synonymous with betrayal. But there are two other individuals whose behavior that night revealed that, that they sorry, that were also acts of betrayal. We're looking at also at Caiaphas the high priest. And also we're looking at a place that you wouldn't normally have expected. We'll be looking at Peter, Jesus' lead disciple. Jesus evokes a reaction. When it comes to God the Son, there is no sitting on the fence. You're either for Him or you are against Him. But sadly, as the events of this night proved, the majority is against him. And even those who should have been his staunchest supporters too often behave like his enemies. John 18 begins John's account of the most horrific event that has ever taken place. It was the darkest night that had ever been witnessed. 
The full moon of that, Passover, of that Passover could do nothing to overcome the blackness of what was taking place. But it begins in a garden. A beautiful garden full of olive trees. And you can still visit the site today. We don't know exactly what it looked like 2,000 years ago because the original trees were cut down when the Romans sacked Rome in AD 70. But the gnarled thousand-year-old trees that still stand there to this day make you feel like you're back in the days when Jesus walked the earth. And Jesus and his disciples would have walked out the eastern gate of Jerusalem through the Kidron Valley and then crossed the, that dry gulch and entered the garden. It was only in autumn when the, when the, spring, when the fall rains came that, that, that the dry Kidron Valley was flooded with a torrent of water that, that rushed down to the Dead Sea. But here was this beautiful garden at the foot of the Mount of Olives. This path was well worn by Jesus and his disciples. In fact, they had crossed over this path three times in the previous 24 hours. In the week leading up to the Passover, and on this night, Jesus had been, had been teaching, sorry, during, in, the, in the week leading up to the Passover, during the day, Jesus had taught in the temple, but then by night, he went to this garden and lodged there with his disciples. Now, Gethsemane actually means oil press. Oil press, and although undoubtedly it was named for the olive oil that was produced there, it is fitting as Jesus was sore pressed here in the prelude to Calvary. The Synoptic Gospels tell us that after arriving in the garden, Jesus told his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Then he took Peter and James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. His agony had begun. He said, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And then going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And Luke tells us that an angel of the Lord came and ministered to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, so that his sweat became like, like great drops of blood falling to the ground. But Peter and the other disciples had fallen asleep. So Jesus rebuked them, saying, Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. If only Peter had prayed that prayer, then perhaps his willing spirit would have overcome his weak flesh. But this was not to be. Now for a second time, Jesus went away and prayed, My father, if this be your will, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Yet again, the disciples fell asleep, so Jesus left them and then prayed the same prayer one more time. Now this is one prayer that Jesus prayed that we can be thankful that was not that the Father did not answer in the affirmative. We can be eternally thankful for this fact because there was no other way than the way of the cross. There was no other way of salvation but for Jesus to drink the cup of wrath in our place. He was drinking the cup that we should have been drinking. 
But it wasn't just the physical torture of having, of having spikes pierce his hands and feet, of being suspended thereon so that each breath required him to put weight on those bundled nerves that, that were in agony so that, that with each breath, fiery pain would, would course through his body. He was facing something far worse. He was facing the fact that he would be bearing our sin. That he would be facing the wrath of the holy God. But far worse than that, he was facing the rejection of his holy father. And Jesus knew that these things were coming. And that in his humanity, he could not bear it apart from being strengthened by his father. After praying, he went to the disciples and told them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayer is at hand. Enter Judas, the first betrayer we'll examine today. Next to the devil and his demons, there is no greater villain in all of history than Judas. As I said, this is, this is a name that, that lives in infamy. has become synonymous with, with betrayal and cowardice of the, of the worst form. But until that time, Judas had actually been, been a, a, a very uh, exalted name in Israel. It actually mean, meant, it means in Hebrew, uh, the, the praised one. And Judas Maccabeus. Was, was a hero in Israel, lifted up alongside men like, men like Joshua and David as being one of the greatest warriors that Israel had ever seen. But the actions of this Judas on that night caused a black mark to be put next to that name. Judas knew Gethsemane because he'd often been there with Jesus. In fact, he'd been there several times with Jesus in the last week alone. And so Jesus went there, not trying to avoid arrest. Jesus went right where he should have been, right where he'd been for every night of the past week. He went just where Judas knew to find him. And Judas, as we know from God's word, was a devil chosen by Jesus, not for salvation, but chosen to accomplish the purpose that had been prophesied for him. John 6, 70 and 71. Judas had seen all that Jesus had done. He had heard all that Jesus had taught, and he hated all of it because he hated Jesus. His hatred became overt in John chapter 12 when Mary had anointed the feet of Jesus with expensive perfume. And Judas rebuked Mary for, for wasting this perfume, saying that it could have been sold and the money given to the poor. But Judas wasn't concerned one bit about the poor. He wanted to line his own pockets. He wanted to keep the money for himself. And then so Jesus, in turn, rebuked him, exposing him. The last time that we had seen Judas was in John 13, when Jesus told the disciples that one of them was going to betray him. He was the one who had eaten the bread that Jesus provided, but that it would lift up his, feel, his heel against him in fulfillment of Psalm 41.9. And in so doing, he had fulfilled prophecy. But he wasn't forced into doing it. He was acting according to his own depraved will. There at the Last Supper, 
Jesus dipped his bread in the sop and handed it to, to Judas. And at that moment, Satan entered Judas, and Jesus said to him, What you're going to do, do quickly. John 13, 27. Again, his sin was exposed. And Judas went out immediately, and it was night. Now, he'd already gone to the chief priests and the officers seeking an opportunity to, to get paid for handing Jesus over. And so they agreed on 30 shekels of silver. It was, it was a, a small amount. It was the price of a slave. And then from that moment on, Jesus looked for an opportunity to betray him. And now was his chance. So he went and gathered a band of Roman soldiers and officers from the temple, and, and they went to arrest Jesus. This seems shocking to me that, that, that the Romans and the, the temple officers would be conspiring against Jesus. Politics makes strange bedfellows, so they say. But we shouldn't be surprised because even those who are normally enemies will unite against the king of kings. They will unite against the common cause to destroy Jesus. This was a lynch mob. And they marched against Jesus armed with swords and with clubs, with Judas leading the pack on their wicked mission. And then the crowd reached the garden. And knowing what would happen to him, Jesus stepped forward and said, Whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of, Jesus of Nazareth. Now it's likely here that Judas performed the agreed-upon sign that he would identify Jesus with the customary greeting. He would kiss him. Never was a kissed, kiss used for such a nefarious purpose. And Jesus said to Judas, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And Jesus said to them, I am he. Yet again, Jesus uses the phrase that points to who he really is, egoimi in Greek, I am in English, Yahweh in Hebrew, the same name that he had given Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And the crowd drew back and fell to the ground. Even battle-hardened soldiers and temple police could not stand before that name. Again, he asked them, whom do you seek? And again, they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus told them, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. To the end, Jesus was protecting his disciples. He is indeed the good shepherd, fulfilling the word that he had spoken. They would not lose any of those that the father had given him. John 12, 17, 12 provides the full statement. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus was not one of those, Judas was not one of those ultimately given to the son by the father. And at this moment, Peter took his sword and struck Malchus, the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. And Jesus rebuked Peter, saying, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Judas had betrayed Jesus with his lips. Peter would betray Jesus with his lips as well, but now he did it with his sword. 
And we'll come back to Peter shortly. But Luke tells us that, that Jesus healed the ear of Malchus. But even that miraculous healing was not enough to change the hearts of the enemies of the Lord. Then later on, Judas was filled with remorse, not repentance, but extreme sorrow over the consequences of his actions. And he tried to return the 30 shekels of silver to the chief priests and to the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And he threw the money into the temple. But he didn't do the one thing that he should have done. He didn't go to God and ask for forgiveness. But instead he went and hanged himself, falling forwards with his entrails gushing out. And the priests used those 30 shekels of silver to buy a field, which was then used to bury foreigners, and they called it the field of blood. Now again, the name Judas means the praised one, but clearly he did not live up to his name. But he did live up to the name that was given to him by Jesus in John 17, 12. He truly was the son of destruction. Now, Judas did not lose his salvation. He was never saved in the first place. He fulfilled Scripture by his actions, but the guilt of his betrayal of the Son of God will remain on his head for all eternity. Now, I know that Dante's Inferno is, is a work of fiction. But in, in the lowest circle of hell, Judas is there, is there depicted. The world even recognizes the horrific betrayal of this man against the king of kings. Now we're going to turn to look at our second betrayer of Jesus, Caiaphas. Verses 12 and 13, we read, So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now most commentators believe that it was Annas who conducted the ensuing interrogation. But I believe it was actually Caiaphas. According to Edersheim, in the life and times of Jesus the Messiah, he says, No account is given of what passed before Annas. Even the fact of Christ being first brought to him is only mentioned in the, form, in the fourth gospel. Now, there is no primary doctrine that is affected here, but, but this issue is one that is used by critics of the Bible to say that the, to challenge the Bible's inerrancy. Most modern versions translate verse 24 that Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. But in the King James, it's translated, now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. The Greek could actually be translated either way, but but the events actually authenticate the King James translation that preceding the examination of Je that the preceding examination of Jesus had been carried out by Caiaphas not Annas Peter's denial of Jesus that took place while this interrogation was going on took place in the courtyard of Caiaphas not that of Annas that's attested to in the Synoptic Gospels, especially Matthew 26, verses 57 and 58. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. 
And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. So I believe it was Caiaphas that was in mind here, not Annas. Annas had been the high priest from A.D. 6 to A.D. 15, when he was deposed by Valerius Gratus, Pilate's predecessor, and Caiaphas had been given the title. Now, the Jews still recognized Annas as high priest because according to the Mosaic law, the call of high priest was conferred for life. And twice in the scriptures, we read of the, the high priesthood of both Annas and Caiaphas, Luke 3.2 and Acts 4.6. And Annas must have continued to carry some influence because it was to Annas that Jesus' captors first led him. And also, according to Josephus, five of Annas' sons, as well as Caiaphas, his son-in-law, served as high priest at one time or another. Now, the high priest had been established, the high priesthood had been established under Aaron. His primary role was to administer and to oversee the sacrificial system. He's the only one that, that was allowed to go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. According to the International Bible Encyclopedia, in New Testament times, he was the, the chief civil and, and, dignitary, and religious dignitary among the Jews. He was also the leader of the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin and the head of the political relations between the Jews and the Romans. Caiaphas is the one who had declared to the council in John 11:50. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And John tells us that he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Motivated by political expediency, Caiaphas thinks that it's better for Jesus to die than for them all to suffer. Caiaphas, even though he was not a spiritual man, had been endued with great spiritual authority, and he prophesied through the Holy Spirit. Without his knowledge, Caiaphas was actually proclaiming the gospel. And here, Caiaphas questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. This was a kangaroo court. It was, it was to give the appearance of a fair trial, but the verdict had already been decided. Caiaphas already knew Jesus' theology. He knew it full well. Jesus had taught it openly day after day in the temple. But he didn't like Jesus' theology. He rejected Jesus' theology. And so Jesus replied, Ask those who heard me. Jesus was consistent in his teaching. His, he didn't alter his theology to cater to the whims of the audience. He was no man pleaser. And then one of, the, one of the officers struck Jesus saying, How is it that you answer the high priest? Who do you think you are? Jesus said, If, if what I've said is, is evil or wrong, then deal with me on account of that. But... But if I'm speaking to you what is true and what is right, why do you hit me? 
Matthew 26, 57 to 68 includes many other important details, but especially in verses 63 to 68. So please turn with me there. Matthew 26, verses 63 to 68. The high priest said to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus replied, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And Caiaphas tore his robes and accused Jesus of blasphemy and declared that he deserved death. Jesus had said quite clearly who he was. But Caiaphas didn't like the answer. Caiaphas, whose name means stone in Aramaic, was shaken when he encountered the rock of Christ Jesus. His theology was challenged by the one who holds absolute authority. The one who should have been welcoming Jesus as the ultimate high priest towards which his office only pointed. Instead betrayed him. Now while these events were taking place, there was another betrayal occurring. Another man whose name means stone wasn't living up to his name. I'm speaking, of course, of Peter. He was born Simon. But Jesus first calls him Cephas in John 1.42. It's the Greek transliteration of the Aramaic word meaning stone. And John gives us the Greek translation Peter. This is the name that Matthew uses in Matthew 16 after Peter makes the glorious confession to Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But this stone would be shaken. After Peter's declaration, Jesus told the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day and raised. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. This was the first time that Peter betrayed Jesus with his lips. And he was about to do so three more times. And Jesus rebuked him there with, with one of the most scathing criticisms that has ever been spoken. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then in John chapter 18, by attacking Malchus with his sword in the garden, Peter demonstrated that he still had his mind set on the things of man. He was looking for an earthly kingdom, and he thought that Jesus needed to be defended by fleshly means. Jesus will say later that he could have called down 12 legions of angels to defend him. But Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Peter wanted, to, wanted Jesus to do things his way according to his plan and his timing, but it is Jesus who will usher in his kingdom, and he will do so in his way and in his time. 
So while Jesus is being betrayed by Caiaphas, Peter is revealing what's happening in his heart. And he betrays Jesus too. And he does so in direct fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy in John 13, 38, where Jesus had said, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. So these events prove, as this takes place exactly as Jesus had prophesied that it would, that Jesus is indeed God the Son. And is worthy of all worship. But these individuals do not worship him. They betray him. As Peter followed at a distance along with another disciple, probably John, he entered the courtyard of the high priest. And Peter stood outside the door, but the other disciple, who was known by the high priest, again, I believe John, spoke to the servant girl who was keeping the door and brought Peter in. And so she asked Peter, you're not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Gerald Borchardt points out that Peter's answer, uke me, I am not, stands in stark contrast to the repeated declarations of Jesus, I am. And this denial is especially significant in light of Peter's earlier statement that he would be willing to die for Jesus and for his impulsive attempt to defend Jesus. Bold Peter, shaking at the question of a mere servant girl. Denial number one. And then Peter stood outside with the officers warming himself by the fire. And they asked him, you are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. Denial number two. And then one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of Malchus, whose ear Peter had lopped off, asked him, did I not see you in the garden with him? And again, Peter denied it. Matthew tells it was with, it was with an oath. Matthew 26, 72, and with, with a curse and swearing. Matthew 26, 74. Denial number three. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said, and he wept bitterly. Luke tells us that at that moment, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Imagine for a second Jesus turning and looking at you immediately after you've betrayed him by something you have said or something you have done. Imagine those eyes boring into your soul and revealing your heart for what it was. R.C. Sproul says that when those we idolize fall, we run for cover. When our heroes come out of criticism, we no longer want to be identified at all, with them at all. Remember, this is just a few days after the transfiguration, after Peter had seen the glory of Jesus unveiled. Now he's betraying Christ. He's denying him. We started this morning talking about, about baby names. Why is it that, that 
people don't name their children Judas or Caiaphas. But the Peter remains a very popular name to this day. It's because Jesus prayed for Peter. Jesus interceded for Peter. Satan desired to sift Peter like wheat, but Jesus interceded for him that he would not fall. Yes, he fell, but he did not fall ultimately because Jesus interceded for him. Then soon, after the resurrection, Jesus would reinstate Peter, asking him three times, do you love me? Peter would, would would reply, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus asked it three times, once for each denial. And Peter then was restored to his former role as disciple and apostle. But if he had not been reinstated, his name would have gone down in history synonymous with betrayal and cowardice like that of Judas. But Jesus had mercy on him. Now we all betray Jesus every day through our words and our actions. Maybe we betray Jesus like Judas did. We betray him because our sin is exposed by him. Or maybe we betray him like Caiaphas because we don't like his theology, because we don't like him. Or maybe we betray him like Peter because he doesn't do things our way. How do you respond when Jesus doesn't do things your way? When his plan doesn't line up with your plan? We all want peace and comfort. We all, on a level, think we deserve peace and comfort. We all like to think that we have the best plan for our lives. But when you look through the pages of Scripture, you'll see that trials and suffering are not the exception. They are the norm for God's people. And the way that you respond in the midst of trials reveals what you really think of Jesus. Now, we might stumble for a time like Peter did. We might have difficulty with God's plan. But do you come back with a heart of repentance? for grumbling against God, for denying Him with your words and with your behavior, for denying Him by failing to trust Him. Every time we fail to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength, we are betraying Jesus. Every time we fail to love our neighbor as ourselves, we are betraying Jesus.
praise God that Jesus came to save sinners, to die for sinners, to die for betrayers like Peter. He died to save betrayers just like you and me. Now, we may betray Jesus. We will betray Jesus, but he will never betray us. He is faithful to the end. He will never betray us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the steadfast love of Jesus. who lived every single moment in perfect love for you, in perfect love for others. The sinless Son of God who died the death that we deserve to die. who died for betrayers like us and like Peter so that we might find life in him. And I pray, Lord, that all who hear this would find life in Jesus for the glory of his name, that he would get the worship that is due his name. Lord, that you would enable us to repent of the many times that we betray you. And help us by your grace and for your glory to live lives that are worthy of this gospel. Because we can't do it without you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.